to be joking. You've got to be joking. Now, when the treasurer wishes oh, to go no. there or not, I would forbid him going. Forbid him going to the Senate. To, uh, to uh, account this unrepresentative swell over there. Welcome back to Unrepresented Still, everyone. Hey, Nick. How you going, mate? I'm great. Post-lockdown, Rob, how you feeling? Good. It's nice to see your beautiful smile, Nick. Yeah. And your teeth. Yeah. In true Unrepresented Still fashion, we recorded last week and the day after we had a lockdown. That was all the news about the COVID cases. Oh, yeah. So forgot about that. (laughs) So, we didn't address it at all last week. That's why. It, It came out. After the lockdown is announced, so it must have been a weird cast. Yeah. And we always think we're really relevant. We always are, yeah. you know, right on the edge of things here. Because we were talking about the par- the, um, the climate Biden talks. summit. Yeah. We're like, oh, that's today. We're really cutting edge here. Yeah. Nope. Honestly, that's that one's not kind of on me. I should have edited it earlier, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> it's fine. We're going to talk about it now. Yeah. What, what, what happened, Nick? So, on Friday, I was actually working at the bottle shop. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I was do a bit of do a bit of a job. Do I? I was working at the restaurant at that time, actually. We oh, yeah, actually, yeah. Oh man, so you got to tell me how it went there. But uh, a Victorian dude basically tested positive in Victoria, and he'd previously done hotel quarantine in WA, and he spent five days walking around WA after he was done out of hotel quarantine. So he caught it in hotel quarantine, and then he passed it on to a woman he was living with uh, during that time. And also, there was one case of community transmission, I think, recorded on the Sunday, mm-hmm. which was a dude at a restaurant that this guy had been to. So, it did spread to people in the public, but apparently, it just didn't spread at all after that, which is just, I don't know. This is, i, I got to come back to that question because I just, I don't get it, Rob. But yeah, I, I was at the bottle shop on Friday and people went nuts. All these old dudes being like, yeah, I need two cartons of emu. People so, really that... Yeah. And keep in mind, the bottle shop is open during the lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> but these guys for a three-day lockdown, they're like, no, nah, I'm going to need two, two need blocks two of here. Jesus Christ. We had a similar experience. We had a few people come in and desperately order meat and cheese, which we're also open during lockdown. Yeah. Like, why you guys people... are open as well. Yeah. Right. Why do people melt so hard? Yeah, I don't know. I was also like popped out to the supermarket. Oh and my the supermarket Lord. line was giga long. I went to the supermarket on Sunday, I think. Oh no, Sunday was Anzac Day. Monday, the Monday after Anzac Day. So the last day of the lockdown and it was fucked. It literally couldn't have fallen on a worse weekend as well because supermarkets were closed one of the day because of yeah. Anzac Day. <laughs> oh no. So everyone was panic buying and it was like supply was limited for a day. Yeah, that's rough. So yeah, not great. Yeah. Uh, so, in the end, it was only three positive cases. Now, 367 of the 386 close contacts of that dude have been tested. And despite those three cases, all the other ones have been negative. So, restrictions look like they're going to end by this Saturday. Cool. Why does COVID not spread in WA, Rob? I don't get it. it must be something about the climate, right? Is this disease really... I don't want to spread in if misinformation. Yeah. But <laughs> is it really fucking spreadable? <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus, man! We're gonna have flag and take Mate, down. COVID's a conspiracy. <laughs> oh, it's no. set up by Bill Gates to put up five G towers, right? Yeah, some of the patrons at the bottle shop genuinely believe that. 
I, I don't get it though. It, it's it's pretty nuts. The fact that it can spread to one person in a restaurant, but it did not spread to anyone else. And that guy who got it did not spread it to anyone else so far. Yeah, it's bizarre. That is nuts. Like we just have some kind of insane luck or something or there's some shit going on that we don't understand. Yeah, very lucky. But there's big questions about hotel quarantine now, Rob. There is big questions about hotel quarantine. Because it's in the air, man. Well, also, this is the second uh, time that it's basically been caused by hotel quarantine in WA. Yeah. And I think we saw a similar situation in uh, South Australia when they had their little outbreak as well. Yeah, we did. And now there's a big fight with the federal government about hotel quarantines in general. And you know, Dan Andrews is also pitching into this fight as well. Yep. He's just this morning, he's he's spent $18 million on a plan for a big quarantine facility out in the country. And he's hoping that once the plan is done, the federal government will cop the $800 million that it costs to build it. <laughs> so, I, I don't know, it might be a bit fanciful, Dan, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah, it's. I love seeing it when uh, premiers have a crack at the feds. It's so fun to I watch. I know, yeah. It's just the the two annoying politicians fighting each other so we don't have to. <laughs> exactly. No, but I think Mark's last press conference was the one where we saw big questions of hotel quarantine. I think initially he was just like trying to quell the situation in WA first. But now he's going after ScoMo. Yeah, he, he really is. Yeah, because Mark is saying we wanted to put this quarantine facility in like Derby or something and the Fed said no. That's in uh, Perth. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, that's average. Uh, just real quick, Rob, as well. I'll mention our poll, poll now because it was relevant. I asked who like, who would have, if you were Mark McGowan on Friday, would you have made the restrictions stronger or weaker? And this is a, and you clearly can't, a great you can't question. just have them to make the same, you know? No. They have to be stronger not an or weaker. <laughs> yeah, not an option. 13 voted for weaker, 12 voted for stronger. So a huge mix this is probably the first poll that we've had that's genuinely contested. I know. What a great question <laughs> I had. The spur of the moment. Well done, mate. I mean, it goes to show it's it's tough, but I think, you know... What did you vote in this one? Did, did I, you abstain from voting or...? I did not abstain. I voted stronger. Yeah, as Just, did I, actually. Yeah. Like, <laughs> from my point of view, I, I'm happy to have a, a short lockdown if it means you know, it, it negates the chance, maybe small chance of us having an even longer huge lockdown. Yeah, I a thousand percent agree though. But people also quite right. So there's two I think cons- like um, criticisms people have. One is about the lockdown, which I disagree with. Another is about hotel quarantine though. And yeah, that's more fair. They should really get their shit together on hotel quarantine. Yeah, fair enough. What? Did, so did you think Mark made a good decision in the end, Rob? I think clearly, given that we're now out of lockdown, right? I'm always, I think a three-day lockdown, like, it's no worries, right? Yeah, it was over the, the long weekend. That kind of sucked for people. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate, but I'd much rather that than any extended lockdown, to be honest. Yeah, that's fair enough. But I think we'll probably leave it there because I don't think there's much else to be said about. Yeah, fair enough. I'm finally going to buy a mask because last, last lockdown I said I wouldn't because we wouldn't have another lockdown and another one's happened. So I'm going to buy a mask, I think. The old reusable one taking its, <laughs> taking its toll on you. Yeah, yeah, it really is. <laughs> oh, and a, another supplement to that as well. Um, WA officially announced yesterday we're starting our vaccination program, even though 100,000 people have already been vaccinated. 
Ah, right, cool. Nice. So, yeah, this goes to show how bad our vaccination was planned before this. It's so bad, man. Apparently, we've got some Pfizer, heaps of AstraZeneca. Oh, that's the one we want, hey. But this morning, two Fuck's people sake. have died from from blood clots caused by AstraZeneca. Yeah, cool. Nice. Sweet. Awesome. Uh, so they Why? <sighs> this federal government, man. Turning to this federal government. Yep. I just want to mention this. It came out that I think last week, or maybe it was a fortnight ago now, ScoMo attended a religious conference. <laughs> and he, he said things to the effect of, um, God has chosen me to prime minister to be Prime Minister and I'm on a, a religious mission of sorts. Like, come on, man. <laughs> oh, God. What, what's his... The Pentecostals? That's his denomination? I don't know. I know it's some weird, like, you know, tongue-speaking... They're tongue-speaking. <laughs> oh, my God. I just can't believe it. All right. No more needs to be said about that. <laughs> Developments in Australia-China tension, Rob. Peter Dunn's running his mouth off as Defence Minister. Good. There was also this made news. Home Affairs Secretary, who's a, just a public servant, Mike Pizzullo. I don't know if you heard this speech, but it was an and- Anzac Day speech. So, you know, it's going to be just garbage in terms of his content. <laughs> but he Jesus. said, uh, free nations now, are again, are hearing the, the beating drums of war. Great. So, you know, um, clearly the Anzac spirit is, is being remembered really well in our country. And he, he got a lot of criticism for that. Yeah, I, no doubt, Nick. I think you might get a bit of criticism for your point, your Anzac. Well, this is the kind of shit that comes out of Anzac Day, though, because people, morons, don't know how to actually remember the, this day or you commemorate war properly. Yeah. Because they're just like, oh, the Anzacs are so brave. You're like, all right, all right, man, nice. That's just <laughs> like not true, but whatever. Anyway, also I noted the Australian <laughs> headline the next day, uh, Mike Pizzullio, right to warn of war danger. The Australian. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Robust reporting there. As always from Rupert and his pals. Yep. You know, warmongering, great. Good stuff. Fun. I can't wait for a war with China, yeah. considering they've got the billion times our population. Considering they've got rail guns on battleships, which even the US hasn't done yet. So, epic. Yep. Epic. And then finally, Rob, last bit I have on the news. The budget is coming up. Wee. So the government's already flagging a few things. They're going to be spending a lot of money on childcare um, services, welfare payments, um, I think, in an effort to repair their relationship with the women of Australia. Mm. We'll see, see how, how that goes. Go, hey? Yeah. But that's all, that's all my news done, Rob. All right, Nick. <clears throat> that's exciting. I love that segment from you. Thanks, mate. I put a lot of effort into that. I can tell. So, Nick, what should we talk about now, hey, big fella? Let's talk about let's talk about India, Rob. Yeah, gladly. <laughs> let's. Because India not looking so hot right now. Yeah, not a laughing matter at all. And yeah, despite I don't even me want to... entering with laughter because it's actually horrible. It's terrible. Yeah, this is the biggest like spike and outbreak we've seen. Full stop. In terms of total numbers, really, in a single country that is. And it's so interesting because India was always sitting there as this you know, 1.2 billion population country, not very wealthy country. Everyone was always like, this is a ticking time bomb. COVID will go nuts here. But last year, they were doing fairly well. Yeah, the most they ever got was about 100,000 in a day. And that was in like September. Yeah. And now it's just fucking off the charts. 
Yeah, it was a bit of a mystery, like it is in WA somewhat, how COVID wasn't spreading in India last year. Granted, yeah, it was spreading to some extent. And also, like, you know, the lockdown policy that Modi did last year just meant that migrant workers just died because they couldn't buy food. Nice. So, yeah, there's all that kind of stuff as well. But COVID wasn't spreading. You you wouldn't say it was out of control. No, it was very much within control. And by God, the Modi government, the BJP government really milked that. They were going hard, ramping up the hubris, saying, look how well we've done. Look at the developed countries. They're doing so poorly compared to us. Like, yeah, we've defeated COVID. They were saying some shit like that. Yep, and this is why, you know, Hindu nationalism is here to stay, etc. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And as a result of that as well, they were a bit lax on their vaccination program. I mean, they had vaccines coming in. Aren't they a big producer of vaccines, actually? I think they are. Yeah, yeah, because they are. Because India was donating heaps of its vaccines to that program where they're sharing vaccines to developing countries. So, you know, quite a, quite a noble thing. I think there's... You know, a bit of vaccine diplomacy going on there. Yeah. But they've since stopped that. Very well, late. They, they have to now. Because, like. yeah, they have to. But vaccines weren't even picked up that that much by the public. Apparently, people weren't willing to do it, really, because they just didn't see a point. Yeah. Yeah, because they defeated COVID. They did. And that's what the government told them. <laughs> now things are so bad. It's really harrowing, uh, some of the images and stories that are coming out. Yeah, uh, we should also say that these prob- these numbers are probably lower than what they actually are because testing has dropped off recently as well because they literally cannot test anymore. They're like running out of tests yeah. and shit. Yeah, and the, so the number numbers we have are around 200,000 deaths so far. Likely, I've heard people saying 10 times more than that. Yeah. Because the crematoriums are full... You have to wait days and days to get a body burned uh, or buried. We're seeing things like those mass funeral pyres. People are burning their loved ones' bodies in the car parks of hospitals because there's just not enough room anywhere else. Hospital beds, uh, yeah, there's no hospital beds in Delhi, basically. Yep. The health system has completely fallen apart. Hospitals are running out of oxygen. Even the, Yeah, run out of oxygen. Even the high-tier hospitals um, have run out of oxygen and... You know, 30 people just die overnight, even in the hospital. Those are the people who can get to the hospital because they've just run out of oxygen. Yeah, it's truly fucked what's going on in India right now. It's harrowing. I encourage our listeners to have a Google or do something to just try and understand how harrowing this is. Yeah, I and another another feature as well is that it's affecting young people as as well as older people. And that's a really interesting development. Maybe a lot of that stuff is anecdotal, but there are people 20, 30 that are dying. They're just getting COVID. They can't get administered to hospital. There's no beds. Their oxygen gets low. They just die of a fever. Far out. What's interesting to come out of this is that people are saying the the rich-poor divide between healthcare and India that's existed for so long has crumbled because even the rich can't even get hospital beds. Yeah, it's, it's fucked high. I don't know how how much I can emphasize. How it's a hellscape. It yeah, a tri- hellscape's a great way of putting it. The politicians, you know, journalists, lawyers, very wealthy Indians are going on Twitter asking, pleading for hospital beds or O2 
for their loved ones and they, they can't they can't access it as, as much as other people can't because there's just simply none left that it's completely fallen apart yeah and what is what has the government done rob well the government said nothing's nothing to see here you know so we've seen actually this is almost since modi's come to power in 2014 really we've seen a slow you know degradation of indian democracy really and basically modi's and his bjm government has said no criticism basically you know there's no criticism towards us we don't know how this has happened but you're spreading inf- misinformation if you say it's our fault yeah press freedom has nosedived in india since the bjp government under modi Nehendra modi has come in and yeah they're getting to the point where they're just saying to journalists you can't print that it's misleading information and you can be actually imprisoned for life if you if you disregard that which is good you know things Things that happen in democratic, you know, societies. Yeah. Imprisoning journalists for reporting. Yeah. It's honestly hybrid regime kind of stuff, Rob, isn't it? <laughs> just no, Not that no. we agree with the hybrid regime model. No, no. The hybrid regime uh, terminology is very problematic. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of papers on how problematic it is. Not many on what you should say instead. Exactly. But yeah, things. the government's handled this really poorly. Up until like last fortnight or last week, Modi was still electioneering yeah he was doing rallies and stuff yeah he was doing rallies with huge crowds of people and religious ceremonies were still allowed even while uh it was getting really bad yeah the government is basically this is like uh corrupt ineptitude oh corrupt ineptitude criminal negligence really yeah truly so two hundred thousand death likely between two million and two hundred thousand and more to come more to come corrupt criminal any other C word you can think of, Nick. And this is entirely consistent with the character of Nehendra Modi. He is an evil, evil dude. Yeah. He really is. He's such a threat to democracy in India and the region. Yeah. I mean, I just can't even begin. Yeah, you know, we haven't even touched on I think we've talked about this maybe once before, but he's just his party is is a Hindu nationalist party. And they discriminate against the Muslim populations in India. They flout democratic norms and are undermining democracy in India. It's really terrible, Rob. Yeah. So hopefully this is a you know waking sign for the Indian public because they still have elections at least, right? Yeah. Th- those haven't been tampered with too much just yet. Yeah, I, I believe that you know, there is some kind of um, voter suppression that happens in those villages. You'd imagine particularly in like, the north where you've got like a Muslim majority. Yeah. Yeah. You can't suppress the whole nation if everyone hates you, right? And I think the tide is starting to turn anyways with this outbreak in particular. You know what, Rob, though? The next election isn't isn't until 2024. Yeah, they don't do elections and they do elections every five years. Yeah, it's a fiver. And it's just such a shame because India was a bastion of democracy once. They were. Yeah, it was that big exception to the rule of developing countries can't do democracy very well. It was, you know, truly actually amazing how democracy survived in that country where there are, you know, impoverished villages yep. where people can barely sustain themselves, can't read or write, but they still vote. It's amazing. And it's still the biggest democracy in the world in terms of population. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Which is nice. But no, that's uh, slowly falling away, which... Probably isn't the big story here, but it is definitely a side story to the 
absolute carnage that is going on with the COVID-19 crisis there. Yeah, I, I, I would place this blame squarely on Modi, I really, I think. Yeah, it almost have to be. It is entirely on Modi, right? Yeah, India is susceptible. I think everyone can agree to that. Yeah, it but should have been much more careful. Negligence. It was so so bad. Yeah. I, I encourage things get better. I encourage people to Google this and do some research of your own. Also, if you look on Google, the the dot that India has, people know what I mean by the dot. <laughs> on its like, um, on its like map of fourteen day cases. Yeah, it's like just the entire of Asia now. Yeah, it's to the represent India. Biggest outbreak in the world so far, right? Yeah, ever. Abs- yeah, ever. That's including, you know, like what happened in China start with and Brazil, Brazil, yeah. the US. Yeah, yeah. This is fucked. Hopefully and they this got you to Modi. Truly evil guy. 2024, man. Have to wait around. Fingers crossed. <laughs> All right, Rob, should we move on? Yeah, let's. I'm excited for this topic, Nick. Yeah, well, why don't you tell me what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about managerialization of NGOs, which is exciting. Wow. What does that mean? So basically, it means I don't know if any of you guys have read the the article, the NGOization of resistance. No, um, I actually have read that article. Yeah, that's why I thought I'd get Who you. Who wrote in. it? I don't know, some chump. Oh, nice. It's like a one-page op-ed. It's pretty good, actually. One of my favorite academic articles. <laughs> um, but basically, it talks about how uh, NGOs and resistance has often has now become. Uh, much more corporatized, structured, and often high-paying. And the criticism that that article made was that this isn't how resistance works. Like, you know, it creates a subdivide between, you know, the people that are trying to help in NGOs who are earning these massive salaries and the, you know, local populations that they're trying to help. However, recently, I did another reading, Nick. You're not going to believe this. Oh, you did two readings in one week? I know. Calm down, mate. And I read that like a lot of people, particularly in the modern world with neoliberalism, rampant as ever, maybe wouldn't wouldn't you know you wouldn't get talent at NGOs if you didn't offer higher paying positions. You got to offer that financial security. So Nick, I'm just wondering, like, what where do you stand on that line? Do you think if you work for an NGO, you should earn ten bucks a day and you should always be helping, or do you think they should earn billions and billions of dollars? And there's no in between. like at one of our polls no in between (laughs) i would say i don't want them earning heaps of money but that's that's the that's the price you pay for ngos they're private organizations and yeah i had experience working for a, a local ngo in 2019 and i was i was amazed by the corporate corporatism in that ngo it's not that I know shit about how the real <laughs> world works in terms of you know, corporate structure and stuff, but it just seemed to me like it was very corporatized. But you know that NGO did amazing things, so I, I'm not adverse to high-paying positions being available to a lot of NGOs. But I think you can't you know paint a broad brushstroke. I think a lot of NGOs that, that raise some questions around some dodgy shit when it comes to those upper executives. And yeah, I think I there is a problem of corporatizing it too much. I think you need to balance it with traditional grassroots activism. Yeah. I tend to agree, Nick. So it's very difficult to find that midpoint. And it's something that is often plaguing NGOs, uh, particularly with uh, how they 
rely on funding much more nowadays from private enterprise rather than from governments. And again, this this goes back to basically the overarching theme of our podcast of how neoliberalism is bad. Yeah, it's fucked up, man. I I wish there was more grassroots activism. Yeah, absolutely. Power to the people. And I wish it was more effective these days. It does seem to just to, to be that backroom dealings, you have a bit of a shake of the hand, you take me out to dinner, I do what your NGO wants kind of kind of deal. That sucks, man. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. It really does suck. And particularly with, you know, private enterprise being more involved in NGOs, it makes NGOs more much more accountable to uh, like corporate style goals and targets which forces them to focus more on like development and less on activism, which is often very important for NGOs. You look at, particularly when NGOs first sprung up in the 80s and 70s, you saw a much more like radical and political NGOs, whereas now basically every major NGO in the world is just a service provider. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Like the NGO I worked for, justice, they had an advocacy body. But it was just like four dudes in the corner of the office. <laughs> and they were pretty chill, those guys. But yeah. everyone else services. Yeah. So that's you know a, a major, major problem that we no longer see advocacy. Because really, what, what purpose does an NGO serve, right? When they first were established in the 1980s, they were kind of, well, first like sprung up in the 80s. They were born from an idea that uh, government has been rolled back because of neoliberalism and NGOs need to fill the gaps that government can no longer fill. And clearly advocacy is a key point in that, but that is no longer filled. So there's just a hole in public service now, pretty much. Yeah. And advocacy is so important. It's never been more important, really. Yeah. I think the biggest issue facing our world right now needs advocacy in climate change. And that's it's that's why it's great to see some more collective action, like say the climate, the school climate protests, the Black Lives Matter protests. Really good to see that kind of activism um, yeah. and the collective action there. But does it have any effect at all? That's, Who knows? That's the thing. Well, it's hard to grassroots resistance now doesn't really work as well because it. You know, all resistance has been corporatized, and yeah, it's such a fucking shame. I know because every yeah, the the existing feeling is everything should go down in a corporate route, and you know when people go out and protest, they say, "Oh, that's nice," but like, yo, know, of course the real change is going to happen in a in a committee meeting or something. Yeah, which is yeah. I mean, go back to the nineteen seventies, nineteen sixties. Not at all what happened. No. That was the, yeah, you had the things like the hippie movement and stuff, but there were huge protests that would affect actual change. Yeah, agreed, Nick. Um, um, yeah, swing the swing the minds of the people, Rob. Yeah, it sucks again. And I think, uh, once again, that's mainly because uh, these NGOs aren't accountable to grassroots people. They're accountable mainly to their donors. And that's a clear problem because donors aren't that worried really about development. They're worried about, you know, what their money is doing and how it's achieving their goals within that NGO. So, again, that always comes back to real services and figures rather than advocacy 
and other things that NGOs can do. And it forces NGOs also to be much more rigid. They can't do spontaneous um, things. They have to, you know, do a goal, complete it like a corporation. And that's just not what an NGO should do, right? Yeah, it seems to just mesh with the overall machine of government in terms of providing services. And it really doesn't provide that stark contrast between the people and the system that I think collective action otherwise is really good at. Um, And that's why advocacy can be so strong when people are out on the streets protesting. It really does seem that they're a lot more closer NGOs to the government and less adversarial. And that, I think, results in a shift to service provision rather than advocacy. But we should probably leave it there, Rob. Yeah, Nick. That was a little little insight. Great topic. Yeah. Insight into what Rob's studying and yep. what me and Rob studied last year. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, we'll see you guys next week, Nick. Do you know our socials? At Unrepresentative Swill on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Correct. And at... Unrepresentative Swill Podcast on Twitter. At Swill Podcast. At Swill Podcast on Twitter. Nice. Keep an eye out for the poll, everyone. Great yep. to see you guys engaging with the poll. Hopefully, I'll, it'll be another great question this week. Oh, I'm sure it will. Hopefully, it splits people like last week. Yeah, we'll see. See you then. <laughs>